0: From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. If you listen to this podcast every week, you know that I we usually start with uh, a little bit of irreverence, a, a joke uh, that we've either maybe thought about ahead of time or I spring on, on Clark here. I've got nothing this week. This has been one of the most frightening, sobering weeks I can remember and I, I have no jokes. I have no, I have nothing except uh, what we all have, which is you know just this grave concern uh, for what is happening around the world, and just you know thoughts for folks who are suffering from the coronavirus across the world, for the healthcare professionals on the front lines who are trying to deal with this this awful situation that just seems to escalate uh, on a daily basis, and you know knowing that. What's happening in China and what's happening in Italy? Something is is, is coming here in the United States and coming to Idaho, and, and that's yeah, it's it's a lot to talk about. And we're gonna you know spend most of the podcast talking about coronavirus and the effects in schools and the effects around the statehouse. But it has been a rough week. Uh, but you didn't need me to tell you that.
1: Yeah, it's 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 our top story. It's everybody's top story around the globe. Let's just start with the coronavirus and how it's affecting our coverage, how it's affecting the state. We're recording this live on uh, Friday afternoon, March 13th, about 1.30. I've just left from Governor Brad Little's press conference a couple of hours ago, uh, where Governor Brad Little issued a declaration of emergency for the state of Idaho, which he described as a proactive measure designed to slow the spread of coronavirus. Yeah. As we speak, it's important to note that the governor urged everyone to stay calm and said this was proactive uh, that there have been no confirmed uh, coronavirus positive tests in Idaho yet, but they've... they've co- based they've on had, very limited testing. Based on, I think the number I saw today was 113 tests uh, statewide. Um, so that's the latest, but that was the big news this morning, the governor's disaster declaration. But Kevin, it stopped short of closing schools. The governor said that will be left up to local school boards and local superintendents who have that authority now, but a different tactic than, say, the governor of Oregon, uh, who will be closing all schools, I want to say starting Monday through the end of the month.
0: And the governor of Ohio earlier this week closed all schools in that state. So you've seen, you know, you've seen governors of both parties taking much more drastic uh, measures in terms of school closures. Uh, what we heard today was, you know, the message that this is a local decision, uh, that you know, that's going to be uh, figured out at the local level between public schools, but also the higher education system is trying to deal with how to how to proceed. And, and that's a very fluid situation that we were following as closely as possible.
1: And so real quickly, what does this mean, a disaster declaration? What does that mean uh, for the state of Idaho? Um, what it does, real specifically, is it kind of frees up some of these procedures in order to respond to what could be... Uh, a health crisis and so specifically it's going to give Little, as Governor, a little flexibility for contracting and purchasing supplies. Uh, it's going to make funding available for the Emergency Disaster Fund and it may help the state have access to certain health care supplies such as respirators and so right. it gives our government additional flexibility for purchasing in response but Governor and, Little and it, said...
0: And it does come on the heels of a two million dollar appropriation from that the state. Houses have yep. passed. Uh, that the governor can use uh, to tackle the coronavirus pandemic as it as it spreads in Idaho so there are there are tools now that are being made available to state government as uh, as they try to get a handle on what they're expecting is going to be uh, a trying situation in the weeks ahead I mean some really really sobering numbers from the state's epidemiologists today
1: yeah I mean I think that was the most I want to be careful about my word choice. I think sobering is a good word. That was the thing uh, that I keyed into. into At that press conference, the state epidemiologist, Dr. Christine Hahn, was asked by a reporter, what's your projection? How many people in the state of Idaho could get sick as a result of this coronavirus? Keeping in mind that we have no positive cases confirmed right now, she estimated 15 to 35% of Idaho's state population could become ill. I just ran the numbers on the upper end. It's important to talk about this yes, is the upper end right, of her range. Right. We could be talking more than six hundred thousand people becoming ill if it does reach thirty five percent of the state population.
0: And, and even if we have what we're seeing around the world, where the majority of people do recover from coronavirus, that for many people yeah. who contract coronavirus, it is it's a nasty bug for for a couple of weeks, and it you know, but people do recover. Even uh, even allowing for that, even, uh, you talk about hundreds of thousands of people contracting this in Idaho, potentially, you are going to have some very serious strains on the healthcare system. It's going to be a, a, a public health uh, challenge. It's going to be a human tragedy uh, you know, on a large scale. They're, they're, this is frightening. Yeah. Uh,
1: I want to get into the effect on schools yes. and some of the things that Superintendent Ybarra said, but just to continue that thought why did we declare this emergency if there are no positive confirmed tests for coronavirus in the state of Idaho? I just want to read something that the governor said, that Governor Little said at the press conference today, keeping in mind that estimate of 15 to 35% of the population could become infected. Governor Little said, quote, the coronavirus is highly contagious. If we don't do, if we don't all do our part to control the spread of coronavirus, then our health facilities will be overrun, end quote. And I think that to me sums up why the governor wanted to do this. You know, and it is important that he's urging people to stay calm, uh, to keep perspective, that this is a preventative measure. And we all talked to, the everybody who spoke today talked about slowing the spread and flattening mm-hmm. the curve. Yes, those were yes. big themes at this press conference. I'm and sure I'll a lot inter- of you have seen those charts. I'll be
0: interested to see how that translates in communities and how that translates into schools. I mean, you've had governors in Washington and Oregon, uh, and you had the mayor of Boise uh, on Thursday Urging event organizers to to not hold any events that are going to bring in more than 250 people. You start to think about that in education. That's not just you know, that's commencement. That's that's sporting events. That's, that's assemblies that's at assemblies. large schools. I at mean, medium-sized schools, right? So those are a lot of events. That's at a recess schools. at some schools. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, so that's a, those are a lot of events that could be affected by this, and, and you know. I, the governor did not go so far as governors in other states to who, Correct. to outright say no events of more than 250 people. That's being done kind of at the local level. Yeah.
1: Let's get into uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ibarra, along with some public health officials, attended the governor's press conference and spoke briefly. Um, she seemed to support the governor's decision to not uh, call for widespread school closures. She said that She's had teleconferences with local school superintendents. And it sounds like someone from her staff or the state government has been in touch with the CDC. And so what Superintendent Ybarra said today uh, on Friday, March 13th, was the new guidance from the CDC today was actually that schools practice more of a hand washing and those practical hygiene matters at this time. They're urging schools, rather than close for Idaho, they're urging us and across the nation to just talk to kids about hand washing and hygiene like we are with adults. And so that was the superintendent's message. Also talked about a little bit about planning and preparing Mm -hmm. for if this does become worse, if we do start looking at schools. We asked the superintendent about Idaho's ability to handle online learning, distance learning, and things of that nature if there are widespread closures or if that does come to pass in Idaho. She seemed to have some confidence. Uh, She said it appears that a majority of Idaho school districts, she didn't give a number or a percent, Mm She said, it appears that a majority of Idaho school districts are prepared to move forward with online learning should that occur. She said the Idaho Digital Learning Academy is a part of those discussions and might be able to provide some of those services to help on that. And she pointed to, obviously, the proliferation of cell phone use, especially among young people, um, but didn't have hard and fast numbers, but felt fairly confident about it. Said schools that are not able to go online or have young students where maybe that's not an appropriate delivery method are talking about plans for drop-off points and pickup points for homeworks, assignments, school books, Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. But i got to tell you, just from a practical standpoint, you and I both have visited the Bruno Grandview School District over this last summer, and there's not really connectivity there. You have to kind of go outside the school and, like, stand on a berm in front of the parking lot to even make a call on your cell phone. And I know Internet's not widely available there. You know, I know Garden Valley. I know there's a lot of places in Idaho where they just – Either they don't have the devices, such as computers, laptops, and cell phones, or maybe they don't have the broadband connectivity at this point in all parts of the state, tried to get a little bit of a handle on what's our capacity, what would be our ability to do this. Um, Superintendent Ibarra feels confident, feels the majority of districts are prepared, but weren't able to get clear numbers or a clear indication, or even really hard and fast Plans, individual plans, or anything like that. Right. Yeah. So a lot that we
0: will sort out in the weeks to come, in the days to come. Uh, how is the delivery model for education going to change and evolve? Because it will change and evolve probably very quickly. Yeah. Uh, how is this going to affect spring testing? Yeah. You know, how will this affect you know community events, school events? So much that we're, we're really trying to unwrap here, and, and it feels you know like such a big story such an overwhelming uh situation that's unfolding you know it's it it is and you know but what I think you heard today from from the governor and the state superintendent is a lot of what you're hearing on the larger scale from from the national experts is that you know there are things you you have to try to do on an individual basis to to try to do do what you can to try to you know flatten the curve I mean you know we were kind of talking about it before we turned on the mic i mean it's it's a challenge i was you know as a parent i can attest it is a challenge to get 6 year old boys to wash their hands um but if you're a parent i mean this is this is a big deal and this is a learning moment and, and a, a a teaching moment with with your kids um you know the decision about what to do with you know, with community events and school events in a time of social distancing. I mean, that's a very personal decision that we're all going to have to come to grips with and, you know, do what we think is right for ourselves, for the, those closest to us, but also for the community at large. I mean, this is this is a different world, and a lot of the decisions are decisions that we all have to make individually. A lot of the, the choices that we make are going to be individual choices that contribute to a, a much bigger, uh, you know, attempt to address this uh, this pandemic.
1: I, I agree with you there. There were several things that the superintendent mentioned today. Uh, and you talked about one of them, the ISAT testing window, the standardized testing window that comes up in the spring. Uh, superintendent Ibarra is aware of that, knows that that's a concern. She said still waiting on guidance from the federal government. But what they are anticipating is that the federal government would give waivers, testing waivers, to those schools that do have to close. Um, and I know there are participation uh, requirements and different things uh, like that that are expected, but it sounds like they're, I mean, just to be completely fair and, and provide context, this is a, an evolving story, and, and, and things are changing by the minute and the hour and the day. Certainly, our understanding of it this week is very different than our understanding last week. Um, but they are aware of the ISAT window. They, they are waiting for uh, guidance from the federal government. School lunches. Uh, yes. And and meals and uh, for young insecurity. people, especially families uh, dealing with poverty and young people dealing with poverty, could be a major issue. Right. Superintendent mentioned that today uh, that as part of their planning for the coronavirus response, one of the things that they are looking at incorporating in their plans are waste send home meals or have meal drop-offs and pickup points. Uh, didn't have a clear plan on that yet, but they're aware of it and they and they know about it, but. It, it just gets into the when we talk about schools and school closures and a health concern like this, so many complicated ways that this issue affects students and families and staff. Um, we're trying to cover account for all of it, right. but there are so so many ways that that this will affect our lives.
0: Right. We don't have all the answers, and in and in all fairness, as this as the story changes daily, in all fairness, you can't expect anybody to have all the answers right now in in state government or, or at the school level but we're going to ask as many questions as we can We're yeah. be as on top of this story as possible and if you have questions yourself as a as a parent as a patron you know, as an educator um, reach out to us uh, we will try to get answers to to your questions as this story unfolds because it, it is you know it is moving so quickly and it is so overwhelming in some ways, but we're going to try to to break it down as best we can. A good place
1: to stay on top of that is the homepage, www.idahoednews.org. I've already posted the story, the initial story at least, from the governor's disaster declaration press conference and and the response from Superintendent Ybarra. And we also have our reporters, Sammy Edge and Devin Bodkin, uh, the last several days have been reaching out to schools across the state to find out if attendance is affected, to find out what parents are saying, uh, what guidance uh, school superintendents and boards are issuing. Uh, I I checked in with our editor, Jennifer Swindell, just before we turned on the microphone. As of Friday afternoon, March 13th, we're not aware uh, of school closures in Idaho due to coronavirus. We're continuing to monitor the situation. We've been asking about attendance. It looked like, and I'm paraphrasing, but generally speaking— still this week was close to business as usual in Idaho schools, obviously elevated levels of concern, uh, but in terms of closures and widespread absences, based on what we know right now,
0: hasn't had a huge effect at the moment for Idaho schools. Right, but that could change and, and you know, there's a good chance that a lot of things are gonna change very quickly and we're, we're gonna try to get as many answers and cover this from as many angles as possible. We do know he, it's he so- to, Yep. to you know, Oh, I was just going to say, one thing we do know has changed, uh, higher education,
1: Boise State University uh, is delivering courses online today to test out their ability to do that. Online exercise. I believe University of Idaho is following suit with something similar. So we are seeing higher education make preparation, but sorry, I didn't mean to... Right, and uh, we don't
0: know what the the higher ed institutions are going to do down the road, what they're going to do after spring break. It's just, it's too early to tell. Yeah. As we tape this early Friday afternoon, the State Board of Education is meeting later Friday afternoon to uh, talk about the situation with university presidents. Uh, We will be in on that conference call, and we'll have any developments that come out of that. But, you know, this is a story that will change daily uh, for quite some time. So we will will be on top of it as best we can. You talked about the business-as-usual aspect, and, you know, we spend – all of our time, uh, all of our work time this time of year at the State House. And that's one of the most surreal things about this week for me is that while this has been unfolding around the world and across the country and uh, on, on our borders in, in states like, like Oregon and, and Washington, it feels almost bizarre uh, to be at the State House covering uh, education policy, covering hearings, covering floor sessions where you know it, it doesn't feel very much different but you know that there's this this you know this overhanging uh, everything that's going on but it's it's been a it's been a surreal week uh, surreal is the best word i can use to describe it
1: that yeah that has been weird and just like a quick peek behind the curtain kevin and i both are continuing to cover the legislative session at least this past week and today in person i've been there uh, each day this week and yeah Hundreds of people coming in and out of the state house, packed committee hearing rooms with hundreds of people uh, sitting shoulder to shoulder. Um, I mean, not to not to be a real downer, but multiple people using the same microphones over and over again, the same pens to sign in to committee hearing rooms, uh, coughing on their neighbors uh, sitting beside them and in front of them. Uh, it does seem weird. I spoke with the Speaker of the House, Scott Bedke, on Thursday afternoon about hey, what's the legislature going to do here? You mentioned the $2 million, but there is a push to... They say there's a push. All right, let's say that. Right. They say there's a push uh, to adjourn the session earlier than the March 20th targeted deadline. But run, I think we're run getting budget mixed... budget bills and go home. But I, Yeah, run budget bills and go home is the idea so that they leave the lights on or have the bulk of their work accomplished. And they would quickly adjourn the session if someone tested positive, but... By that point, it's too late because that person will have potentially exposed countless other individuals exactly. uh, to the virus. But we are seeing leadership and the governor saying they are trying to push for adjournment. They did move more quickly through budget bills on Thursday afternoon, in particular, in the House and the Senate. But
0: also, when I was on the floor of the Senate on Friday. Yeah, know how many bills they voted on on Friday? Zippo,
1: zero. So. Yeah. I don't know if the House has voted on any bills uh, so far Friday as we record this. And I do need to point out, elephant in the room, the Idaho House killed five budget bills, including the higher education budget, I have not yet taken up the, as of one forty-five Friday afternoon, have not yet taken up the, I want to say, seven public school budgets. And so huge pieces of the budget have yet to be approved. And I got to say... He, This is the result of spending the first seven weeks of the session um, debating these administrative rules and ultimately doing nothing with administrative rules. Uh, We have major issues that are unsettled from a policy standpoint. We have major pieces of the budget that have either been killed or not yet heard. And now we're facing what the governor has described as a state of emergency in Idaho. And the Speaker of the House is describing... A national economic crisis, right? I mean, and that he, here's where we are. Yes, um, and the House continues to argue um, amongst itself, but uh, so I don't know. The right. Senate has adjourned for the week and we'll will return. return Monday, the 16th of March? Yes. We don't know what the House is going to do yet. And they on, haven't
0: done a lot. And on the policy end, as you said, there are a lot of things that still need to be resolved this session, and not just in education, but just in education. You've got to pass all these budget bills. You have to pass something uh, that the governor really wants in terms of veteran-teacher pay. You have, um, you have a lot of other issues that are still hanging, hanging fire it's a very mixed message that we're getting from legislative leadership as to how serious they are about getting out. I think they are serious about, um, I I think the cloud of coronavirus, uh, the threat, the specter of coronavirus is definitely, it's on their minds. It's got to be. But in terms of definitive, decisive action towards adjournment. All over the board. It's all over the place. It's really all over the place. And, you know, you know, it, it's it's a strange place to be this week. It and, is, and you know, and it's it's a challenge to cover it when you know you're concerned about you know a global pandemic.
1: Yeah, I spoke with Representative Bill Gosling, a conservative House member from Moscow who sits on the Education Committee. He said this is scary stuff. He said, "What are we going to do if even one person in this building tests positive? Then what do we do?" When I spoke with Representative Bill Gosling on Thursday, he said he would support... I don't even think they've officially been asked this. He said it's possible for the legislature to suspend all operations, go home for the weekend, and come back at a later date. He said he would be comfortable doing that. I don't know if that's even on the table, but also as a guy who represents Moscow... With the University of Idaho in his district, he's very concerned about the upcoming spring break where you're going to have not only thousands of people coming back to Idaho uh, from colleges all across the country, but you conceivably would have hundreds or thousands of Idaho students and faculty members going to visit friends, going on vacation, and then coming back to Idaho in a week or two. Very concerned Um about right, that right. said, so we and need again, to be extremely proactive at this point. Right.
0: And, and again, that's another one of the questions that we don't have answers to yet as pertains to higher education. What happens at the higher education institutions after spring break? You know, we've seen, you know, Boise State University has shut down athletics for the rest of the okay. school year. Spring sports are not happening. Um, does the same thing happen with the rest of spring semester for, you know, a lot of, for the very reasons that Bill Gosling is talking about? You know, you don't know what kind of containment you can have on a campus after thousands of students have left and come back. So, boy, there's there's a lot we don't know at this point and a lot we need to get sorted out at this point.
1: And I also think it's fair
0: that Idahoans are skeptical
1: about how, in particular, the Idaho House would lead on a response to the coronavirus disaster when, a fair contingent of conservative Idaho House members regularly push back against vaccination rules and requirements, and regularly express, express skepticism uh, with our healthcare system. So I don't know. I, I think that's fair to be skeptical about wondering
0: that very question. Right. Um, <laughs> but, and you know, and, and you know, we're we're also getting into a point, and I and I saw it this week some concerns about where are we headed state? You know, in, in terms of the state's economy, in terms of the revenue picture down the road, you're starting to see that conversation happening, and we started to hear it a little bit as it pertains to the higher education budget. So, you know, we'll use this as kind of a test tube yeah, yeah. example of some of the bigger issues that, that are looming uh, stemming off of the coronavirus. So the House killed the higher education budget on, on Monday, as you alluded to, it was kind of a mixed bag of a vote because you had uh, conservatives who are concerned about inclusion programs and diversity programs on the campus. The the as they describe it, the leftist leanings of you know, Idaho College campuses using this as their opportunity to to strike back at that. But that doesn't account for everything that we saw in the House floor. This narrowly failed, and you had the Speaker of the House vote against it. You had uh, you had three members of the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee who didn't sign on to that uh, Barbie Hart letter back in July, but voted against the budget that came out. Uh, Bedke's concerns, as he explained it the day after the vote, was that, that the budget was more than Governor Little had requested in the first place. Right. He didn't like where the money was going. He didn't like where the money had come from, and he wanted to hold the line. So it's not as simple to say that that was a budget that was killed simply out of the you know, yeah as an outgrowth of what we saw last summer with the backlash over uh, inclusion and diversity, certainly a factor in the vote. It will be a factor yeah. in any ne- any follow-up vote on subsequent higher education budgets because another one has been written, and we'll have to go back to the house but and I got into this in my, my piece that I posted on Thursday. you're starting to have people on both sides of the aisle talking about well what happens if we head into a downturn, or if we head into a recession, which feels m- like less of an abstract conversation than it did at the beginning of the session, because of what's happening, you know, the economic crisis that, you know, that Bedke mentioned to you on Thursday. Yeah. How does that affect higher education? Well, we know how it affects higher education, if history is any guide. If the economy, you know, goes into a, a, a downturn, you know, If it goes into a downturn or a recession, you will have more people going to college. They will decide it's time to get my degree, finish my degree, get my certificate. I'm not working. I want to be ready for getting into the workforce when the economy rebounds, so I may as well take out some loans, scrape some money together, and go back to school. It happens in downturns. And you had Alana Rubel, the House Minority Leader, talking about it this week. You had Neil Anderson, a Republican member of JFAC, talking about it as he was trying to debate what kind of new higher education budget would come out of JFAC on Thursday. So, yeah, I think you're starting to see that conversation. It's not prevalent. And, you know, let's keep our eye on the ball. I mean, coronavirus right now is a global health crisis. And, you know, that's the first thing that's on everybody's minds. But if you're not thinking about how this might affect the economy, how it might affect the strain on state services, how it may affect the revenue stream... There are myriad ways that this could affect uh, the budget and the economy uh, going forward, and the decisions that may await the next legislative session.
1: Oh yeah, when I talked to Bedke about it, he was worried about how this is going to affect the state's tax policy. He was worried about the pension programs and how those would be affected. He's worried about the budget. I talked to the several social services. If the, yeah. we
0: have hundreds of thousands of people get sick, and thousands may need to go to ERs or go to, you know, go to hospitals. The strain on social services, the strain on, on that on that budget could be staggering.
1: Yeah, I, I talked to a couple House members who said, thank goodness we're putting money away into the rainy day accounts, uh, because I just don't think that they know, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen, but that would have been one of our top, that would have been our top story this week without the coronavirus, the death of the higher education budget, and it was close. What was it, thirty-seven, thirty-two? Uh, so like uh, that, it, 30, that it failed.
0: It, it failed by three votes. I mean, by, three by, votes would have switched. Three votes would have swung it. That's yeah. It. So. But
1: and some of the stuff just doesn't track based on the debate. You had Representative Heather Scott complaining about the thickness and the glossiness of mailers that universities send out to legislators, and that was a reason to kill the budget. Um, you had people very concerned about this new hire that they want to make at Boise State University for a vice provost of diversity and inclusion. The, the thickness and glossiness of the mailers does not track when we're talking about a $307 million higher education budget in one of our state's seeming top priorities. It doesn't track, but a lot of these members are aligned with the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Uh, Who don't trust public education and don't believe that the state should play a role in public education, particularly when it comes to higher education. And a number of those 37 opponents who killed the higher ed budget, a number of them are taking their cues from the higher education budget. It wasn't just the diversity letter, but Representative Barbara Ehart, the Idaho Falls Republican, led out with the opposition to that budget. And she mentioned specifically the diversity letter, and then Representative Vito Barbieri followed right up on it yeah, next. Yeah,
0: no, and, and you could see that coming. You knew that that was going to be a a theme in the debate on Monday. Um, but like I said, when you look at the numbers, when you look at why that uh, why that bill failed on the House floor, it's not just about that diversity right, issue. There are, there are other budget issues at hand. What JFAC came up with in terms of a new higher education budget, it's not... Governor Little's request, it's still higher than Little's request. It's yeah. about a half a million dollars less than the budget that uh, failed on the House floor on Monday. I mean, we are talking about a very – I mean, half a million dollars is a lot of money. But it, in the context of a $600 million higher education budget, when you factor in the general fund yeah. and the dedicated funds, we're talking about a half a million dollars in a $600 million budget. That's the difference between the new budget that will go – to the House and the Senate and the first b- bill that failed on the House floor. So we're talking about, we're haggling over a very small amount of money in the in the grander scheme. And you think about what may be down the road next legislative session. Well, who knows what, uh, what the debates over higher education funding and K-12 funding and, and funding all state services is gonna be like because we don't know. We, you know I'm no epidemiologist, I'm no economist either, but I can sit here and I can think about a lot of ways that what we're seeing unfold could affect the economy and could affect the revenue stream, you know, the strain on social services, the impact on Idaho's tourism industry, you know, depending on how long this thing goes, how this affects consumer confidence. People Are, are people going to go out and, you know, are they going to shop? Are they going to buy impulse things? And I'm not talking about toilet paper. Are they going to go out and buy cars and furniture and, you know, go out to eat and pay sales taxes on that. And sales tax is such a driver uh, of the state budget. And it's so elastic depending on what's going on in the economy. I mean, you know, who knows how this is all going to affect the, the, the budget and the economy. And while it's secondary to the public health issues, it's a big deal Yeah, still. And oh, by the way, when you talk about
1: budgets that are in trouble, don't look now. But there's debate over the superintendent of public instruction's State Department of Education office budget.
0: And that's not even a debate about how much money we're spending. It's about where that money's going and where the jurisdiction over IT and data management. That's what what it comes down to.
1: You wrote a big piece about this last week, but it's the management of data. It's data management and IT services. And JFAC earlier this month made a move to pull IT and data management away from Sherry Ybarra's State Department of Education and give that to the State Board of Education. But it's more complex than that because it comes with 18 full-time positions that would move and is it $2.7 million
0: yes, about? it's about $2.7 million. I mean, it's a considerable... So there's serious stakes. It's a considerable piece of uh, Superintendent of Barr's office budget. I don't want to downplay that. But we're not talking about less money. We're talking about where the money would go, whether yeah. it would go to the state board or the State Department of education. House
1: education was all fired up about this week, Republicans and Democrats alike expressing concern. As of Friday afternoon, we have not seen that budget up for a vote yet. Um, But they're going to have to decide how quickly do they want to get out of here versus how quickly do they want to continue to have these policy debates and tugs of war.
0: So let's do what we would normally do in a half an hour podcast (laughs) in about five minutes and try to get you caught up on all of this legislation that we're watching. Uh, The career ladder, this is the new version, uh, the the sequel to the career ladder that uh, provide pay for veteran teachers passed the House a couple of weeks ago, passed out the Senate Education Committee easily and unanimously. I would expect a Senate vote on that first part of next week. Also, Senate vote on Monday, now it's looking like, on House Bill 500, the transgender athletics bill. That was first on the list of things that the Senate could have done in terms of passing or voting on bills on Friday. But like I say, Senate didn't vote on any bills on Friday. House Bill 500, the transgender athletics bill, is going to be tops on the calendar Monday morning. You covered a guns and school bill? This was interesting. This is a bill that would have allowed any school employee with an enhanced uh, concealed weapons permit to carry on school property. Uh, It died in the Senate uh, State Affairs Committee on a divided vote. Uh, You had school lobbyists arguing against the bill on Wednesday. And on Friday, you had Second Amendment advocates urging the passage of this bill, but you also had law enforcement officials urging the committee to to reject the bill. Their concern was training. Their concern is that a a school employee with an enhanced concealed weapons permit doesn't have enough training to respond in a crisis. and you may have unintended consequences and you may have you know uh, you may have more problems because you have uh, you know employees carrying weapons and, the training issue was a big deal to Senate uh, State Affairs Committee members, and it came up uh, w- when the committee deliberated what to do. Uh, voted it down on a five to four vote, so that is uh, is done for the session. We talked about the school budgets. All seven uh, K twelve budgets are awaiting action they're in the House. In the I want to say, and yeah. they're starting in the House. Uh, higher ed budget, uh, we would expect to see, it's got to start somewhere. It, I don't know if you started. I think in the they're house. sending it to the Senate. The, yeah. Well, you know, odds probably better of it passing in the Senate, but still they show down a vote in the house. I, I don't know how that would play. You know, again, as I wrote about it last, uh, yesterday, uh, Thursday, <laughs> um, they did only trim $500,000 out of the budget. That might be enough to swing a couple of votes, which is really all that they need to do. Yeah. It's not going to change the mind of the hardline conservatives who have social concerns about higher education. I don't think their votes are changing. So it could be a nail-biter. That could come down to uh, one or two votes either way. And, you know, let's be real here. It could come down to how badly do we want to fight about yeah. a couple hundred thousand dollars in the higher ed budget as opposed to going home, uh, getting ready for primaries because primaries are coming up in May, yeah. and uh, getting out of town before things could get even uh spookier and scarier and uh, and, and more, you know, more sobering.
1: Just a couple of things I'm tracking on the House. There is a late-session bill that would phase out uh, the Master Educator Premium Program. That was the $4,000-a-year bonus that the legislature created intending to reward Idaho's highest-performing veteran teachers. The plan is, if this bill passes, to allow one more group of educators to apply for the Master Educator Premiums this year, to provide funding for that group who gets it, to provide funding for the group who got it last year, and then roll that out, completely take it off the books in 2024 or when the uh, current group of uh, premiums are all paid out. The reason they want to do that is because they said that Governor Little's new five-year $225 million plan to raise veteran teacher salaries is the preferred method for um for help, helping right. retain so free and recruit up A little bit of money by teachers. getting rid of
0: this, and you move it into yep. the career ladder, and you get rid of a program that, frankly, a lot of educators weren't happy with in the first place.
1: That passed out of House Education Friday morning without debate. It will be heading to the House floor. I'm covering that. I know a lot of people are interested in that because of the rollout of that program last year. One other thing: it's not official yet, but it does appear that Representative Barbara Ehart's Sex education opt-in bill is dead for the season. It has not advanced since being introduced in House education the last week of February. Transmission deadline is passed. Not that that means anything, uh, but House education has not acted on it as they turn their attention primarily to Senate bills and these late-breaking uh, House bills. But really, the overall emphasis is going away from committees uh, and, and turning towards these floor debates that we're seeing. But we're going to continue mm-hmm. to watch the budgets and however many days there are left in the legislative session. As of right now, like I said, we're covering it in person. It's kind of a day-to-day decision that we're making on how mm-hmm. long that will continue. But for right now and for today, we are covering it in person from the state house. Regardless of what happens, we will give you resolution on yeah. the session. Yeah.
0: We, we, will, we will stay on top of what's happening in the legislature one way or the other. Um, we, we will keep an eye on it as we're it could be next week they could adjourn sometime next week that's uh Seems likely that we're starting to hear but you know i think you know we'll even in a normal year and this is certainly not a normal year and this right. is certainly not a normal week this is one of those weekends where legislators go home and, and they kind of sometimes i think they kind of look in the mirror and they say how much do i want to fight about this how, how much how much are we fighting about this this session or are we going to try to get back next session and get re-elected and continue this fight next year I, I it'll be very interesting what the mood is what the uh, you know what the momentum is on Monday morning because we've been through enough legislative sessions where it feels very slow and then it gets really fast at the end and when and when hour. the momentum is hey we can get this done in, in a day or two and we want to get it done in a day or two it's uh, it's amazing how quickly things can move so We'll watch it closely.
1: Yeah. I uh, just want to take a step back. I know that was about 40 minutes of discussion about the coronavirus from Kevin and I. And I know that we don't have all the answers or all the facts or completely understand what's happening. And I'm sorry for that. We both talked a lot about how we wanted to handle this. And we think it's as important as possible to try to... Report what we know as responsibly as we can. We're aware that tell people tell what we don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the story, too. Yeah. And, you know. We think it's a big enough story, and state officials led by Governor Little are taking it seriously enough. We are aware that people think that it's overblown by the media. We also are aware that there's another group of people who think that this country and this state uh, is entirely unprepared, and the response thus far has been botched. We don't— know all the answers, and I don't think we will know, Uh, but we thought it was important enough uh, to share what we do know and what's happening, particularly because we are embedded with our state policymakers in the legislative and executive branch. We're very close to them. We're spending time every day over there, and so we wanted to share how they're reacting, what they're doing or what they're not doing, what the governor is doing, and so we're not trying to sensationalize this or drive panic Or spread fear or anything like that. Uh, But we have come to the realization that this is a major story. uh, And and so we're trying to treat it as such.
0: When the World Health Organization calls something a pandemic, they don't do that lightly. And when the state, when the nation's expert on infectious diseases testifies before our Congress that it's going to get worse before it gets better, you know, we're not making that up. And we'd much rather be writing about just about anything else. Yeah. But this is the story of our times, and we will do our best to cover it. And again, if there are questions you want us to ask, if there are aspects of the story that you want to see addressed, drop us an email. Uh, you know, get in touch with us over Twitter. Get in touch with us over Facebook. Uh, we are, you know, we'll, we'll take any and all suggestions.
1: Yeah, I, I just really appreciate everybody for continuing to follow us and follow our coverage, and continue to listen to the Extra Credit podcast. It was a very hard week I know for a lot of you and a lot of your families and there's a lot of uncertainty out there it's also a hard week for Kevin and I and we're just trying to do our best and trying to get through it alongside all of you and share uh, what we do know um, we appreciate the right. continued support and attention and uh, it, it means a lot to us that's why we're doing this is to hopefully provide some level of information uh, that the public and can benefit from right so
0: as always thank you for listening uh, stay safe you know. For yourself for your loved ones for your community do everything you can to 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 stay safe wash your hands you know you know stay home if you're sick if you can um all all of that i mean but you don't need my advice about that there are much smarter people about infectious disease who can give you better advice about how how to proceed with your we're all in this together for sure that's a good stay safe and stay smart and thank you again for listening and we'll Whatever happens next week, we'll try to break it down as best we can here.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Hang in there. And we'll be back next week. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.